network, you do a lot with you know, potential free agents and who's going to go where. That's always fascinated me about how that process works. So let me ask, hopefully from a fan's perspective, Player X is a free agent. They have an eight. Most players have an eight. Not Lamar Jackson, but most <laughs> players have an agent, yeah. right? How does that do the, do the agents go to the teams? Does the players say, I want to go here? Do the teams reach out or all of the above? Well, the secret to that entire thing is a lot of those conversations are happening with the top-tier free agents well in advance of free agency. They're not supposed to, ah. but there's a lot of meetings that happen at the scouting combine where you kind of talk through things. And usually, you know, teams, even though they don't float a lot of numbers now, just because how the, the calendar sets up and, you know, the agents will always say it's because they need to collude and make sure they keep the salaries down, everybody walks away with kind of an idea of, all right, those top guys, this is probably the number. Can we be in that marketplace? If we can't get there, who are those second and third tier guys that we potentially can get? So then I think there were – it was the most that I remember. Now, this is strictly anecdotal, me remembering in my brain, but I don't think we ever had more deals – on the first day of the negotiating window, because it opens up at noon Eastern time on the Monday. And I think there were about 30 deals that were agreed to that day. We weren't even getting into Tuesday and Wednesday. And that shows, again, how many of those deals were really pretty much in place prior to that. Well, I'll let people uh, speculate on that. But that's that's the big part of it is those sit-down types of meetings. And then, yeah, once the negotiating window opens – then you're making the calls, and it's usually the, the teams reaching out. As you get later in the week, there's going to be more agents reaching out to teams because usually if you're still a free agent by Thursday of the week, you're not getting the number you were expecting, and so you're now being proactive and trying to figure out, okay, what's the best situation? Do you take a one-year? Can you still get a good multi-year? Do you continue to wait in certain cases? There's not a lot of those high-profile free agents who are still out there, but there's still you know a half dozen or so of them that we'll be watching. Odell is certainly a really high-profile one. But he's also not a you know an unrestricted free agent. He's been on a street free agent since last year because he didn't play in all of 2022. That's clearly the number one name. And then obviously, as we run up to the draft here, which is only four weeks starts four weeks from today, all those trade names you've been hearing about really the pressure points are going to come as we get closer to draft week. Even though tweeting these days can help you or hurt you, but the Lamar Jackson situation fascinates me in the sense of. You know, some have complained he didn't play last year. You know, he, he was hurt and all that. What is your take overall with this, and, and, and where do you think this will end up? You know, my theory on tweeting has evolved through the years, just to make that point. Uh, you know, I definitely used to tweet a lot more. And now there was, there was one time a story got relayed to me by uh, Patrick Royce. He was a legendary columnist up in the Twin Cities from a guy named Dark Star, who hosted radio shows in the Twin Cities for years. Wow. And Dark Star once told Patrick, who explained this to me, that he goes, every day I sit down for the show, because he had like a three-hour show, and say, what can the next three hours do for me? That's how I think about Twitter now. It's like, before I hit it, I'm like, is this tweet going to do anything for me? Because if not, I probably shouldn't be tweeting it. Yeah. With Lamar, it's, it's definitely an interesting development. There have been a lot of unique things that he has done through the course of this process. And it leads to the uncertainty about where this all ends. Because you can follow logic, and you can follow, well, he's done this, this, and this. That means he's probably going to do this. With Lamar, there's all these curveballs, and there's all these new twists along the way. It's, it's, it's a fascinating situation. It's one in which he absolutely could use an agent, and an agent would never have let him go out on the field two years ago to play for $1.7 million as a former NFL MVP. 
So tens of millions of dollars are already out the door for Lamar. And now you're into a situation where, you know, things like saying on March 27th or whatever, that I requested a trade on March 2nd raises so many questions. Number one, why didn't you leak that on March 2nd? That's what the agent would have done. Number two, why are you requesting a trade before you've even been franchise tagged? Number three, is there a fundamental understanding that you don't need to request a trade? You currently have permission under the non-exclusive tag to negotiate with the other 31 teams. You can't get a trade done unless you agree to a contract. So it's not a matter of the Ravens now, are they going to shop him? There's no, there's nothing to shop. He has to agree to a deal, and then you figure out the other piece of it. So th- there's a ton of moving parts here with Lamar again. He, he's had tens of millions of dollars go out the door on him already. If they he doesn't agree to an offer sheet in the coming weeks or months here, does he show up for camp? Logic would tell you, well, he played for 1.7 in 2021. He played for 23 in 2022. Why would he not show up and play for 32? That's $2 million per game. But again, with him and the way that he's operating here, under the advice from his his mother and the NFL Players Association, we just don't know exactly how this is going to play out. Let me ask you the last two things. I think uh, two of my bucket list things are to be in a war room on draft night Uh to see how that operates, and then be in a room where all the capologists are to figure out how much money and where. That fascinates me. So with free agency and whatnot, how much of that, you, you mentioned some of it done maybe you know, before the process starts. It seems to me those people that do that are huge in the organization. Am I wrong? In no, that? I absolutely agree on that. And there's, there's some really good ones throughout the league because, yeah, you have to have different contingencies. And you there are different ways you can create short-term cap space. But the simplest way, there's all these, you know, it's become in vogue for people to tweet, like, the cap's a myth, the cap doesn't exist. No, every dollar you spend hits the cap eventually. So if you're constantly doing these restructures that are really just bonus conversions, what that means is those cap hits are going to hit you in the future. They're just not hitting you right now. There's teams like New Orleans that constantly test the bounds of that and keep pushing it off further and further and further into the future which works until, you know, for instance, a global pandemic hits in 2020, (laughs) and all of a sudden now the cap dips in 2021, and now you can only, you know, tip over the piggy bank so many times you run out of contracts to redo. So, And there's also, you know, the other piece of it that I think people don't understand is there's also a cash element here. This is still a business. Owners want to make money, and there are some teams more than others that operate under strict cash budgets. So some people can say, well, this team has $60 million in cap space. They're not doing anything with it. Well, that doesn't mean they got $60 million in cash that they're authorized to spend by their owner. So th- there's definitely um, some other dynamics that go into it. But you're absolutely right. I mean, think about this. If you're in on the $16 million free agent and then he goes someplace else, and now all of a sudden, all right, you're now into maybe you can piece that together. You can get a two $6 million free agents and a $4 million free agent, and you use your budget that way. Those are all the things that you're, you're balancing out through the course of free agency. Last thing, um, how much around the draft do teams blow smoke and put things out there? For example, Anthony Richardson, right? This team's interested. This team isn't interested. How much of that is done by teams to throw other teams off, or is that a myth? Well, it's funny because Pete Carroll came up to me earlier, just tapped me on the shoulder and goes, hey, what's going on in this draft? I go, you tell me, Pete. <laughs> And they're they're taking the tact of we're going to take selfies with all the quarterbacks here at all the workouts. We're going to be very out there. I think that there's certain people who 
look at that and say, well, this this is them doing the smokescreen thing here. But they're also in the rare position. They've never had a pick this high in the NFL draft. Right. Um, so why would you not be looking into the quarterbacks? You know, why would you not be fully evaluating this? Uh, there's definitely some of that. There's definitely, you know, things that get out there for a reason. I would say that. You know, some things, yes, you hear it from other teams. That's how things get out. But there also are times where people are definitely saying certain things and wanting it repeated in the public view. Uh, this draft will be no different. And, you know, the fact that you got four quarterbacks who all could go pretty high uh, definitely makes this a fun uh, and it should be an exciting experience in Kansas City. Yeah, no doubt. I appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for taking time. You got it. Appreciate Absolutely. it, Tom. Thank you. Tom Pelissero here from NFL Network.